everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. Uh, let's see, do you have any updates? Um, you have been working on some art stuff. It's oh. not drawing art, but you have been buying paint and things like that. Yeah, well, I'm trying to accumulate things so that when I have time again, I'll feel guilty enough after having spent all that money to use it, <laughs> I guess. Nice. Um, You've been gluing things together too. Yeah, I, well, I don't have any. I don't have enough time or capacity to do anything really detailed. So I've just been like getting things prepped. So whenever I take a vacation, I can have some things to work on that aren't tedious. Yeah, so I'm getting the small tedious things out of the way early. Yeah. So are you going to bring your painting stuff when we go camping next month? No, <laughs> I didn't think so. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we are going camping next month with my family. And that's, it's the first time I've gone camping with my family since I was 16. So should be interesting, especially with children. If you have children and you know how to camp with children that are little, uh, we're all open, all ears for advice because neither of us have ever done it before. And I'm a little nervous. <laughs> anyway, so we are nearly done with flipping the house. That's gonna, We're going to be listing it in two weeks and then we'll have time again to do stuff. I've actually been heavily involved in edits on Crimson Hollow, the fourth book in my Coven Chronicle series. And I've got books five and six fully outlined. And I plan to have those written within the next month or so because dictating is awesome. Once I have an outline done, I can finish a book in a few days. And then that's sans editing, sans editing. Yes. The revision process this time it's taking me nine days, eight days because I take Sundays off. So I did Friday and Saturday and I'm halfway through it now. And it is Tuesday. So I'm already halfway through the book. So, so it's, um, I've actually noticed now that I've been dictating for a while. Let's see how many books have I dictated now, like 10 or something. This last one has actually been my cleanest one yet. Like I, I, there's a couple things like my speaking voice is slightly different from my talking voice. For example, I say somebody instead of someone when I'm typing, I always say someone, but when I'm talking, I always say somebody and I don't like the word somebody apparently because I've been changing it in the manuscripts. Find, replace, replace all. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I'm finding that the, that this version of the book is very close to how I would have dictated or would have typed it. So I'm very pleased with that. And generally it's not that far off. It's just a few quirky things here and there that I need to change. Let's see our schedule. We're doing Hunger Games today. Then we're next doing 10 Things I Hate About You. Then Finding Forrester. Then the first week in August, we'll have another marketing episode. We are open to topics. I haven't thought about it enough. So if there's any marketing specific topic that you'd like to hear about, let me know. Send me an email or tag me on Facebook or something. Uh, let's see. And then we're going to do Strictly Ballroom. And we did watch The Last Is Jedi. Next? Is that next? Strictly? Strictly Ballroom. I don't know because 10 Things I Hate About You and Strictly Ballroom are both romances. So we might, I don't know. I do want to let our listeners know that we watched The Last Jedi and we got through the whole thing and there was minimal yelling on Nolan's part, <laughs> though there were a couple parts where we were both yelling or laughing, actually. I've never been so bored. The first time watching a movie that's an action movie? Yeah, it was really boring. I So I've talked about cardinal sins, yeah. the cardinal sin of invalidating your premise, which they do. We'll not talk about specifics uh, right now. But I have a new cardinal sin. I should say that a different category is the cardinal sin of the entertainment. Mm -hmm. I've talked about invalidating your premise is like 
I guess a plotting thing, you know what I mean? Where you, you like, you have a reason for a story based on this thing and then you undo it by mm-hmm. the end. Um, well, entertainment, my cardinal sin of entertainment is don't be boring. Yeah, no kidding. And I was like, I tried and I got bored. We and, both like, actually started getting bored around the same time. Like I pulled out my phone to play games. I forgot I was watching the yeah. movie. Like it was just background noise. Yep. And I was like, oh, right. Um, and then came over and like tried to sit there and watch it and then. Yeah, I was bored. So we'll actually do it it in its own episode. Episode probably after like Mark the marketing episode or something, just to break apart the romances a little bit. I see. Uh, spoiler alert: We didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> there were okay. We'll talk about it in its own episode. Yes. There were elements I liked, but all right. So uh, let's see another update. I don't know. Let's see. I don't think I actually talked about this last week. Had I already? I I should have. No, that's right because we recorded with David. Uh, like a week and a half before we the episode went live. I didn't have the chance to announce that I got invited back by Dean Wesley Smith and Christian Catherine Rush to be a an instructor at their business masterclass, which formerly took place on the Oregon coast, but is now taking place in Las Vegas. And I am super, super excited about it um, because there's a whole bunch of other cool authors that are going to be there. And so, for example, let's see, last year they had Joanna Penn and she was their, you know, their main instructor. This year, it's going to be uh, Kevin J. Anderson, Mark Lefebvre, formerly from Kobo. <laughs> He's going to have to change his name. He used to joke that his name would be, he would change his name to Mark from Kobo. Now he's going to have to change it to Mark, formerly, formerly from Kobo. Anyway, and then um, David Vandegrift, who you guys all would probably know as the passive uh, guy from the Passive Voice blog, Donna Cook and Chris York. And I'm... I'm really, really looking forward to it. They're going to have me do a couple different presentations and panels and things like that on the things that, you know, people come to me for like automation sequences and Amazon algorithms and things like that. Anyway, that'll be really fun. If you're interested, go look it up. It's, you can find it on, I'm sure, I think on Dean Wesley Smith's website. I usually just Google Dean Wesley Smith workshops and it comes up as the business masterclass. All right. You ready to give the quote for today? I am. All right. Go ahead and read. If you accept the expectations of others, especially the negative ones, you will never change the outcome. Michael Jordan, ever heard of him? <laughs> no, I haven't. NBA basketball player. Is he? I thought he was a golf player. He is also a golf player. I thought he was a baseball player. He is also a baseball player. <laughs> is he a football player too? He is not a football player. He has many talents of which basketball out of was the only one out of the ones we named. But. <laughs> that got him anywhere, really. Yeah. But hey, he tried. He did. He's like, maybe I am great at all sports. And he was not. But he actually got to play professional sports. So yeah. even ones he sucked at. Yeah. It's more than I'm going to do. <laughs> I love the expression on your face. I didn't know that you were aspiring to be a professional. I- I'd like to be that physically capable. Yeah. But I, I don't it, yeah. necessarily want to be a sports ball person. Yeah. You were really good at softball, and we had a lot of fun softball. going to those games. You were really good at the neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> it was a league. Ca- casual we league. We paid money, actually. Yeah, we came money. in like second place one year. Whoa. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. And like third place, and then like last place once. And it's <laughs> so funny. Place. So the year while I was dating Nolan, he wouldn't let me go to any of the games. And then they won several in a row. So he's I like, had a home run the game the the week I thought about inviting her but didn't. 
Yeah. And then we lost the game. The game that he invited that me to. That I invited her to the next game. Because I was like, oh man, I should. It's holy. I totally rocked this game. I have to invite her next time. Oh, we lost. <laughs> and I still loved it. I love going to sporting events. I seriously, so, seriously miss it. Wasted home run. Completely wasted. What? You weren't there to see it. Oh, so everything revolves around me. Well, that one, if I'm going to do it, that's the only one I hit that year, I think. Anyway, I'm yeah. not a... I'm not a uh, power hitter i'm a no I you're a more of a complicated and, and, and run faster yeah. than they can throw the ball well you're left-handed and you bat right-handed like no, I, you I bat got... left-handed but you hit the ball where right-handed people hit yes, it and yes, so it confuses yeah. people and then you're a fast runner so yeah i try to hit down the third down third base line between the shortstop and third yeah. baseman because everybody funny. shifts everybody shifts to the left field and then I'm yeah. like ah, suckers suckers you didn't expect that <laughs> anyway so yeah I miss, where did we go? Oh, Michael Jordan sports. Caitlin. Ever heard of him? Oh. Yes, that's what, that's where it came from. Yes. Okay, so he says, if you accept the expectations of others, especially the negative ones, you will never change the outcome. And um, Expectations could be read here as limits. Yeah. Yeah, so if people put le- uh, negative limits on you or limitations or, or perceptions on you that aren't true, then... And if you accept them, I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard not to accept them. Especially. Right, because people are like, okay, uh, the most anyone can do is 10. And you're like, but I, I have done 10. and But you don't know. Maybe you could have done 11. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, so like negative reviews and things like, things like that. Don't believe what you read. Don't let it Maybe you. you do suck, um, but you don't <laughs> wow. have to suck forever. Okay. You don't have to, like, they're like, you you suck, you'll never be any good. You okay, don't have to believe that saying. part. That's a good point. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you might have a current limitation or a current spot where you're at but that's not an expectation of where you'll be forever yeah your expectation should be like i'm gonna get better yeah so you recognize where your weaknesses are and work on them Mm -hmm. yeah good point i mean most people's first several books are not good no that's why i rewrote the key of clinia probably how many brandon brandon sanderson wrote five books that he knew he would never publish and put them away Anyway, let's see. So the tip for today, I'm going to be a little blunt. And this one is geared to more advanced authors and beginning authors. Everyone. To everyone. everyone. It really is. Um, there are some advanced authors who this one apply to, and they will find out quickly why. Your email address should be... A domain. A domain that you own. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, um, Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com or Nolan at... I sell books.com. <laughs> I, I sell Andrea's books when, she, when I can.com. <laughs> yes. It should not be at Gmail, at Yahoo, at Hotmail, or anything else like that. Why? Because that is not professional. Some places won't even take you. Some places won't even take you. It looks cheap. So you're like, hey, I own this company. You know, I'm, I'm, okay. So for example, I own, um, I'm a lawyer and I own my practice and all of my lawyers have, email addresses that are johnlawyer at gmail.com. That's nobody's gonna take that lawyer seriously. They're actually gonna think that they're cheap and that they you know waiting for malpractice suits or something like that. Which are only doctors, right? Or do lawyers have malpractice? They do too. Do they? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so my point is is this it is really, really easy if you own your own website to set up a professional email address as well. And by the way, like Nolan said, some places won't even accept you. It is necessary to be able to reach most readers through your n- newsletters if you to use a professional email address. And some of the newsletter services out there, I don't know 
like Mailer Light, if they do anything or Mad Meme or anything like that, they don't tell you this, but you you reach less readers with a Gmail email address or with a Yahoo email address than you do by using your own domain. And that includes when it forwards to a a domain like andreapearsonbooks.com. It forwards from that and goes on to Gmail. If you cannot send and receive email using the Andrea Pearson books or whatever.com domain, then you're not going to be reaching a lot of your readers. The question, um, you know, people always ask is why, why can't I use Gmail? Because most spam filters will filter you as spam because it's not professional. They look at it and they're like, oh, this is just um, some old Joe emailing thousands of people from Gmail and it's not a legit, it's not legit looking. And so your emails will get stuck in spam and this, it might be overwhelming, but take, take a few hours and figure it out. It's worth it to, uh, to have all of the efforts that you're putting into reaching your, your readers and selling books to, it's worth it to have, to go through all that effort and actually have it actually work in the end. I use Zoho.com and GoDaddy has the option to pay $3.99 or thereabouts for a month per month for custom email address and email hosting. Uh, for Andrea itself, Publish Strong. Wait, what is it? My email, Andrea itself, Publish Strong.com. I run it through GoDaddy and they had a special where I paid $1.99 for two or three years of email ahead of time. And my AndreaPearsonBooks.com, I use Zoho, like I said, and Zoho's free up until a certain point. And now I'm in the not free anymore point but and and the way i did it was i called up godaddy because you have to do a whole bunch of you know back end html stuff i don't know what is it called your the cmi i don't remember what they're called the links or whatever we have to like say you give a link to one website from another website and then you give that another link from the first website to the second and so like go godaddy gives zoho information and Zoho gives GoDaddy information. And then you can set up your email, um, call up your web hosting company and have them walk you through it. And so Zoho, I've been with them for a long time. I posted email with them for, I don't know, like almost two, two and a half years. And, but if you choose to use GoDaddy, the process of setting up your email is really simple, especially if you're already hosted with GoDaddy. So, and I do recommend GoDaddy just because they've been really great to work with. Of course, they spam me all the time with calls trying to get, trying to upsell me, but I save the phone number and I don't answer when they call. (laughs) Anyway, um, and then I use Mozilla Thunderbird. It's a free email program for actually emailing uh, Mozilla and not Mozilla, sorry, Zoho and GoDaddy both have web interfaces. But I prefer Mozilla because it's like an actual client desktop application that you don't have to be signed into a browser to use. And sometimes I just don't want to be online technically, you know, so I don't get distracted by Facebook or royalties or anything like that. Um, I do recommend get get your email address. Make sure you own a domain. You should already own your domain and then get an email address that's specific to that domain. If you don't, if the place where you host your website does not offer email addresses or does not offer that that functionality switch to one that does like so if your website is hosted on wordpress you i'm sure they've got plugins that you could buy wordpress of all things wordpress has got a lot of plugins doesn't it yeah they do but there's third-party companies that offer most of those plugins but so like i'm sure they've got plugins that would allow you to access email it's it's worth looking into just just because you want to be as professional as possible you want people to take you seriously and a lot of my author friends, like I said, use Gmail email addresses and I still love them, but I, but they're wrong and they're <laughs> sinners. <laughs> You're so evil. Um, 
I, I just, I, I feel like they're shooting themselves in the foot. Like I, they're not taking themselves seriously. So why should readers take them seriously? Anyway, so yeah, so that's the tip for today. Go, go get your email set up so that you can uh, send and receive email from your domain instead of Gmail. Stop advertising Gmail and advertise your website and your books instead. All right. So are you ready to talk about the movie? I am. What movie are we talking about? Hunger Games. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I'm doing that right now. <laughs> so tell me about the characters. Um, There's characters. There's poor characters and rich characters. Oh, I thought you were saying poorly written characters. Um, No, it's pretty good. Yeah, I actually really like pretty much all of famous them. Famous for a reason. Yeah. Actually, the main character is very unlikable. Well, she's kind Katniss? of likable in an unlikable sort of way. Yeah. She's very prickly. She is, but that's, you know... Part of her charm? Yeah. No, it is. Um, because she is not fake. She's not warm and fuzzy, and she's you don't not... warm up to her. Yeah. No, she's <laughs> been through a lot, so she's uh, pretty hardcore and not fake. And she's thrown into this world of... Fake. politics politics and fakeness and yep. she has a hard time adapting to that she actually does better with the violent uh life or death struggle part yeah but the social interactions and she struggles with the game behind the game which is the more fascinating part of this book to yeah me. Movie, movie book movie book yeah we did um, we've done both so and it does it does actually follow the book pretty well so some just have the same name the mm -hmm. book and the movie but this one actually does a pretty good job of yeah shadowing the book. Um, and I like it because uh, one thing. Where's my comment on this? Let me make sure I'm not giving away. Okay, so I'm gonna compare this movie. I didn't. I'm not giving it away, but I'm comparing this movie to Twilight. Twilight is heavy internal dialogue in its first person. Hunger Games is heavy internal dialogue in its first person. This movie does a better job of pulling off how Katniss feels than Bella does, with less internal monologue that's directed to the viewers. So like in Twilight, Belle is like under a constant cloud of rain shower, you know, of rain cloud and clouds and rain. And she's constantly talking to, you know, and Dear the, Diary. Yeah. They wanted to to bring to home her personality that way. But I think like don't tell show, you know, so like Hunger Games, they show that she is in, in her um, what's the word introspective. So she's not, she's not a people person. She's more like Nolan said, life or death, you know? And so this movie does a really good job of showing the characters and why they're in the story and who they are. Like you don't guess a lot about with them, you know, you know, you, you catch their, their, their background. Their motivations are clear. Yes. Thank you for helping me there. <laughs> like as I stutter my way through this. And a lot of them have multiple motivations or at least, I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of backstabby plotting type yeah. things in this. Yeah, because so we've got the so the setup is we've got these action games where they kill like people, children are killing each other, to, you know, killing each other to the death. Okay, <laughs> but we've also got the political games, which is pretty has the same outcome. You know, if you don't win in the politics, you you die too. So it's it's actually really interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, the games are an action thing, but the purpose is political. Yeah. To show the capital's dominance. Yep. Because they make them fight. Mm -hmm. Every year they have to send, a, you know, a boy and a girl to fight to the death in this arena for them. Yeah. They don't send anyone. 
And the capital, no. Nope. And everyone's trying to impress the capital who can be the best at sending their own children to die, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just a way to exert control. Mm-hmm. While also making them want to do it. Mm-hmm. There's glory in winning the games. Yeah, they, they, the people that win are put up in huge houses and tons of food for the rest of their lives. And, you know. Hence the Hunger Games part. Yeah. You can get more food by putting your name into the drawing to be chosen. Yep. Um, anyway, that's how they get their name. All right, so tell us about Hamish. Um, Hamish. Actually, we haven't talked about Gail. We haven't talked about No, no, Peta. yeah. So PETA is... Um, so obviously Katniss gets her name pulled. She's in The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. No, her name doesn't get pulled. Oh, well, it's true. That's true. Uh, her sisters gets pulled, but she volunteers to take her place. Yeah. So we see right away that she's a protector, which ha- oh, she also demonstrates because her mom kind of checks out after her dad dies in a mining accident mm-hmm. when they're younger, and she takes care of everyone. Yeah, she makes sure that nobody starves to death. Yeah, So and and she makes sure her sister's okay when she takes her place in the Hunger Games. Yep. So it, she demonstrated that part of her character really early on, multiple yeah. times, multiple yeah. ways, different, and without being tiresome. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. It's not like a broken record. You can yeah, see how yeah. she's, you know, she, that's who she is. Um, and she does it again in the games with Rue. Mm-hmm. She tries anyway. Yeah. And she fails. Actually, she fails at everyone. She tries to protect <laughs> later on, but she tries. Yeah. Um, she's obviously, she's just one person against, you know, this crazy, depraved uh, political machine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only so much one person can do. Yeah. Um. There's Peta, who's who's the boy who does get his name drawn, mm-hmm. and he's a breadmaker's child. He's a baker, baker's son. Yeah. Son, also he has baking skills, not hunting skills like Katniss does. Yeah, so he thinks he's as good as dead. So yeah. he just tries to help her win, and he's very political. He is a people pleaser. He understands that side of the game. He understands social things for the district they came from. Yep, he is wealthy. Yeah, because uh, he has food because his parents are bakers. Yes, so they, they run. They run a store. They actually own a store. Mm-hmm. They're not coal miners. Yeah. So they talk about that more in the book that he's actually well off yeah. as far as that district is concerned because yeah. he never had to really worry where his next. Meal and they was also don't from. talk about this in the movie, but she feels antagonism towards him because he's there's that class divide between them. Right. I mean, not so much as between districts, mm-hmm. but within their district, they're on a different social scale. Yeah. And that that's true, like in school, mm-hmm. stuff like that. He's he's a, a higher class than yep. her. Yeah, he's not. You know, like there's one point where he throws her some burned bread while she's lying in the mud. Like she's like dying. She's he's, starving to death. He's so. throwing food to the pigs and then throws one of the pieces of bread he was going to give to the pigs to her. Yeah, and I love how they played that throughout the first half of the movie, like gradually showing you a little bit more of that memory. You know, mm-hmm. and she resented him for that, mm-hmm. like the pity. You know, that mm-hmm. he showed her, but he actually, I think, burns the bread on purpose so that he had, I think they mentioned that in the book. I think so. Yeah. So that he has to throw it out and he can throw some to her because his mom, his mom, his parents would never let him give her, give, let him yeah. give her anything. No, they're. So yeah. he, he did that for her, which yeah. I, they, she finds out later because she, he's had a crush on her the whole time. Yeah. Which leads us to our next character, Gail. Yeah. Who is her love interest at the beginning. Yeah, they're they're more friends in the book, there's, like close friends with slight. Uh, there's a yeah, there's there's romantic connotations. They're not like yeah. together together, yeah. but there's some flirtiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, mainly they're friends, and it becomes I don't say more it becomes complicated once they have to uh, Peta and Katniss have to pretend to be together. Yeah, 
Um, so we just got interrupted by our child, but we were talking about Gail. And I wanted to make a comment about him. They show right off the bat his personality. So we know that um, Katniss and her family are starving to death. And she sees a deer. It's the first deer she's seen in a year. And he scares it off purposefully. And, and he's it's it's a careless attitude that he has where he doesn't care. He doesn't... Nothing is... He's not this way throughout the whole series. He takes the takes the political side very, very care very seriously. But he's more selfish than Peta is, you know. Certainly, certainly, and that comes up more later in the later um, in the later books and movies. Yeah, but yeah, he has he he's like oh yeah whatever you know yeah, he's he like, laughs hey. it off and she's like I haven't seen a deer in a year. But then he helps her shoot um some birds. a quail yeah. yeah. So I mean he's not completely heartless, but you see his flaw. Uh huh. Yeah. That comes up later and actually ruins the relationship. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> How long have these been out? If they haven't seen them by if now. If you haven't seen or read these by now, then don't listen. You shouldn't be listening to this episode anyway. You know what we do here. <laughs> if you haven't seen them by now, then they aren't going to see them. So we yeah. can talk whatever we want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's right off the bat. Mm-hmm. It's nothing serious. But as the stakes raise, that flaw in his personality becomes, becomes more. Yep. It yes. aggravates it. Yes. So my a couple of my favorite characters are Hamish and Effie. Effie yeah, they're not like big players, but they're important. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he, um, Effie becomes more important. She actually does stuff later on. Mm-hmm. Right now, she's just this clueless. Like she believes and loves the the Hunger what, Games. Yeah, and she, she loves actually, what like, the yeah. What is the name of the district? No, not district. The capital. The capital. She's way way behind them. She's just this innocent. She's not one of the evil ones, you know. No, she actually like likes the district that she's assigned to. And wants them to win. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. rooting for them. She doesn't like that she's assigned to them, but you can tell yeah. she cares for she's Katniss like, and Maybe Pita. we'll win this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then Hamish is the polar opposite. He was in the games. Mm-hmm. He, he had won. to go through it, and he won, and he hates it. He mm-hmm. hates his life. The, his district, their, their whole point is to survive day to day. But some of the districts are wealthy, and their point is to raise up the next warriors. And so Hamish is bitter because everybody from his district... Who fights dies. Yeah. So he's, he's like this alcoholic, you know? He's the only winner living. Yeah, he's the only living winner. I think it's, he's, I don't know if he's the only one they've ever had, but he's the only one around. And other yeah. districts like District 1 and 2, where they actually have academies for people to go to. Well, they have lots of winners, and the previous winners coach the, you know, they, the yeah, next exactly. group. And they win almost every year. There's lots of people. And yeah, yeah. and it becomes his job to coach, but yeah. there's no way they can win. Yeah. Like, he's just watching all of these kids die, and it's his responsibility to help them. He's like, them. there's no point. There's no point in telling you how to win because you're just going to die. Yeah, he's like, I don't. he doesn't want to get emotionally invested in, you know, it hurts him. I mean, it does hurt him yeah. to watch them yeah, die. it does. Because he, he's like, no, there's nothing. He tells him straight up, no, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, and, the, and what sucks is because he won, and so everybody puts him on a pedestal. They're like, he, how did you win? What did you do? And he's like, I don't know. I was lucky. <laughs> yeah, he won, and his whole entire district puts him on a pedestal, and they're like, help the next people win. And they he can't because they're right. not training their whole lives for this. No, yeah. And Effie Trinket, her name, like effervescent or something like that. I can't remember what it's shortened from, but it basically means bubbly, enthusiastic, talks, talks needlessly, and then Trinket, you know, is like a pointless piece of jewelry yeah a shiny thin uh worthless thing yeah so Effie trinket her name fits her personality and rue her name you know emotional and it evokes like rue you know you rue for something you know right and so um suzanne collins what is her name is that her name yeah yeah she she picked good names like katniss 
is derived. It's like a plant. I can't remember what it was again, but it, it fits her personality. Oh, the wildness. Her. Yeah. Um, you know, well, like from the border. Primrose and... is also a an, an plant name. There's a lot of mm-hmm. plant names in her district, but the one name I don't know where she got from is Peta. It's bread. He, no, he's it's a baker. P e t a. P e e t a is how it's spelled. Yeah, he makes bread. He, she just changed the spelling. <laughs> it's not <laughs> creative Peta. at all. Shame on you. Anyway, all right. Suzanne so let's Collins. let's talk about the opening scene. Okay. Uh, we get. The Hunger Games, like we see the the capital is doing a whole spiel on the Hunger Games, right? We get um, oh yeah, we talk about it's the the main Seneca and Seneca the Caesar or what is his name Caesar yeah. Caesar. They're talking about the Hunger Games. So so these so uh, Seneca is the main games maker. He's the one that sets up. He the, plans the Hunger. It. He plans all of the trials and stuff in yeah. the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. He's in charge of running the show. Mm-hmm. And Caesar is just the like a game show host guy. Yeah, he interviews much. all of the players and any of the big movers involved. Yeah, and you know the the competitors and the people that set it up. Yeah, um, it's basically a, a way for the a, a method for the author to use them to be questions. I was trying my choices. He answers them questions so they can talk to mm-hmm. us, yeah. but through him. So it's like plausible way for them to talk about how they to feel. To give the information. Instead of that. just, yeah, because then it's not exposition. Yeah, that's the way they do it in the movie with the, because the opening in the book, it goes straight to her hunting scene. Mm-hmm. But the movie, we've got like two hours. They have to give us the information in much condensed form. And so, right. Yeah. Because you can see, well, it sets up the capital. You're like, it brings us together. Yeah. And then you see how not together <laughs> yeah. immediately, like her district is. It's yeah. poor. You know, very Appalachia feeling. Yeah, it gives it. They do um, a great job at showing her, like, just showing us how poor her district is. Except her clothes are amazing. Well, she, you, you're <laughs> like great leather jacket, but she makes her own clothes. I mean, you don't know that. Is she not a tan leather? I mean, but Gail's just looks. They look pretty healthy. These two for for being in a very poor. District. Well, that would be the movie's problem. <laughs> I know. Well, I, mean, I know. Yeah. But that's something that I complain about all the time. Like peasants wearing dirty clothes in a movie. I'm like, oh, they just got that dirty for the movie. Yeah. Like have them wear it all right. day long. Yeah. You know, disgusting. Like but a, make it look. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's worn like out. wow, she's got really great makeup and uh, she's got very fitted clothes for a poor district. Oh, and Primrose is screaming because she's oh, that's, worried that that's her exactly. name's going to be pulled. Right. That's how this how the scene starts. Actually, is yeah. she, um, the counterposition like it brings us all together, and then the screaming of her waking up having a nightmare about the Hunger Games. Yeah, about her name getting pulled, and yes. Katniss like it's never going to happen. You only have your name in once, you know. Yeah. Which, which of course foreshadowing. It yeah, that's my right there. Primrose name getting pulled out, foreshadowing. They foreshadow that. Yep. So inciting into incident is the reaping. I would say Which I volunteer. Is the yeah. Yeah. Well, that's her name that's getting her. pulled yeah. and Katniss yeah. volunteering as tribute. Yeah. Which almost never happens. That somebody, oh, that somebody volunteers, especially not from that district. Not from that district to take the someone else's ones, place. The other don't. ones, they all volunteer, and I guess they have to have another drawing of volunteers, I guess. I don't know how, because like a I don't bunch know how of them. It works either. I don't remember. One. Yeah, because they they've been they, all preparing their whole lives. They never address it. They just say that they train, you know, a bunch of them train. I don't know how they select which one goes to the Hunger Games when many of them volunteer. They fight it out, you know, whoever wins there. Maybe. (laughs) All right. So the antagonist, the protagonist relationship, I would say in this book, in just the Hunger Games, it's everyone versus Katniss. Everyone meaning not like her close people, but everyone. Even her close people. The capital. I mean, they're not against her, but they have an antagonistic relationship. Yeah, that's true. Her and her mom. Yeah. 
And then in the series, the the biggest antagonist is probably President Snow slash. He's the big villain. He's yeah. the emperor in the Star Wars. Um, they they meet briefly at the end. He's he's in scenes throughout. He's the game behind the game. He's yeah. the person. He's the one who the understands. Even though it was instituted long before him, he understands why the Hunger Games happen. Exactly. And Seneca, the game maker, he's just trying to make a good show out of it. He doesn't understand the game behind the game. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's just putting on a show. He doesn't understand the purpose of the show. Yep. And Snow warns him. Yeah. <laughs> try politely how to, like, you don't under. He's like, everyone likes an underdog. Seneca does. And he's like, I don't. Yeah, the president's, president's like, no, like, I don't because they, they rally around that person. Yeah, and all of, all of the districts are underdogs. If yeah. the underdogs win, they think, if underdogs think they can win, that means they think they can overthrow us. Yep. And Seneca doesn't get that. He just stares at him. He's like, oh, what? He's like, I like you. I hope things go well for you. You know, and they don't. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so um, we got interrupted again. We've been interrupted three times now. This is what happens when we record during the day <laughs> when the kids are up. Um, I like to explain because then they don't know why we have such a rough cutoff because editing it is impossible. I can't make a smooth transition. All right, so I don't know if you noticed this, but there are several scenes in this movie where there's absolutely no music. So during the reaping ceremony... And after choosing, picking names on the train, none of that until the, her shock wears off does the music start up again. And so it's like 10, 15 minutes without music. And then it happens again when she's going up into the games. There's absolutely no music again. And then I think towards the end when she and Peta are, you know, about to pop the berries, again, mm -hmm. there's no music. Let's see, I, I really liked that during the inciting incident. The just put a lot of eff emphasis on the moment, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, one comment I have. What's your comment under romance? If you love have. triangle. Yeah. At least a budding one. And this is a good love triangle because people were really as you know passionate about Gail and people were really passionate about Peta. You know. Yeah, I mean Peta. So you know, Gail doesn't really come into this romance part Not too in much book. in this. They, no. There's like a little flirty thing at the beginning, and then they get separated. So she spends yeah. all her time with Peta. But he see he being Gale sees that on TV. Yeah, he sees he's them watching them flirting and, and make out a little bit and stuff like that, and being willing to die together, like yeah. Romeo and Juliet style thing. Yeah. Um, and it hurts his feelings. You can yeah. tell it's awkward for him to watch. Yeah. And what's interesting is generally in a romance, the first love interest you introduce the person to is the one that you should have them end up with. So that's for example. Um, this one, it's close enough where, and it doesn't bother me, but I know a lot of people were really frustrated with this, but like Bella and Edward, you know, she falls in love with Edward first. And if she changed her mind and went after Jacob, it wouldn't have been true to the story. You know, I do have to say though, that Amanda Hawking's Trill Trilogy, she sets up the love interest from the very beginning. And then in the last book, she introduces a new, introduces a new character and the main character ends up with him instead. And I was like, what? <laughs> made a lot of readers mad but my comment on the ro romance here this right here is but she invests so much time in with Peta. yeah and he really is willing to die from her like through the whole thing mm -hmm. you know it's kind of would be i don't want to say jacked up but i mean it makes him i mean they, you have for a love triangle to work you have to have two viable options mm -hmm. right and she, yeah. in this book, this is her, uh, this is Peta's opportunity to show that. Mm -hmm. Later on, um, Gail and um, Katniss are together and Peta's gone. Mm -hmm. Right. So then you have the reverse. Yeah. And then at the end, 
they free Peta and they're all three of them are together. This is later on in other books. Um, right. And then she has to make a choice. Mm -hmm. So I think it works from that because of the structure of it. Mm -hmm. But I can so, see why you say that. My comment on romance is um, Peta, we, he first admits that he's had a crush on on Katniss during the interview with with Caesar, Caesar to right. everyone to but. everybody and the first time you're watching this or reading this book you're wondering if he's being sincere and everything but you see these little hints throughout the the show the movie that show that he is being sincere but what really hit me was right at the end when she, they're holding the berries and she's she's doing the countdown and right before they swallow he reaches out and touches her braid you know, it's just, it's familiar. It shows, it just shows that he cares for her. It's like a, a, a fond little gesture. And I really like that. I was like, you know, most, most guys that I dated, I don't remember how it was with you, but they, they touched my hair, you know, and they did that to show me that they cared for me. And so I just, I really like that. He mentions her hair early. Does he? So I don't remember that. She had two braids instead of one. Oh yeah. So he and actually he is noticing like, these things. When I saw you in class, like the first time when we went to yeah. school, you know, when we were in kindergarten. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a good tie in. I didn't notice that. It's very nice. Um, very expertly done. Yeah, no, they did a really good job. There was, it was no telling. I mean, he does tell, but then he shows and I loved it because they flip that he tells and it's like, a, it's a surprise to everybody. And she you know? almost kills she him. She like tries to, yeah, kill him. <laughs> but then he shows throughout the show that he does actually love her by, you know, taking care of her and protecting her and joining the bad guys to keep her safe, you know? Right, to lead them away from her. And what we find out is that Hamish was telling her, telling him in order to keep her safe, you have to do this, you know? And that was what he was meeting with Hamish about was... Hamish, he's like, I don't have a, ch I don't have a chance to win, but how can I help Katniss win? I want her to survive. And so Hamish, I don't know if you remember that, but there he's like, I was right, at one point, how to keep you alive. At one point they start training separately. And then Hamish kind of covers for him saying like, well, there can only be one winner. Yeah. Yep. So there's no sense to me giving, you know. Yeah. So they were coming up with ways to keep her alive. But instead, know? yeah. But instead of him helping him kill her, he was helping her keep him alive. Yeah. If that made any sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot he's in there. Hamish was helping, yeah, Peta keep her alive. Yeah. All right. Continuity and pacing comments. It's good. I wasn't bored at any point. No, and we've watched this movie several times yeah. and we've read the book. Yeah. So they do a good job of keeping it going. There's a few scenes I don't like. I don't care for the fire scene in the arena. Fire scene. When the oh, when she's when they're trying to get her back to the group. No, when they do the girl on fire. Oh, when she's going in thing. Um, I don't necessarily like the way they did the fire. I like I just look, the, the concept, the, the, uh, It's fine. No, the concept's fine. But the, the CG looks, like, cheesy. They don't, nobody it, really looks like they're there. It pulled me out of the story. Well, um, I, I, you'll, I'll explain to you in a little bit. One of the Actually, I'll just give you that trivia right now okay. so that you can understand. Like the budget more. for this movie was under $80 million. It's, they did a and good they job. Did, in my opinion, is they did a really good job of showing... Like, I mean, for such a low budget movie, they have fantastic acting, fantastic story making. They had decent CGI. I agree. The fire wasn't as good as there it are good. Been, there but... are good ones. There are like uh, any of the flying stuff because they, they keep it hidden. The the yeah. flying, the hovercrafts. Yeah. Because you never get a good look at them. Mm -hmm. um, but they look good for when you and like the city looks OK because yeah. it's in the distance. Like they, they used it very well. Yeah. Um, here and there to it to show. That it is the future, mm -hmm. you know, and that the setting is different than now. Yeah. Um, and but, the arena, like, they did a great job of showing the vastness, the greatness of it, how huge it is. 
Yeah, I, I felt like, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't work for me, but I understand that they had limitations. Are so. you saying that they didn't look like they were there, like cats they didn't, and people? Yeah, I didn't feel like they were Well, I'm talking more like when, when President Snow stands up and he looks down, it looked to me, I mean, it just felt huge. It wasn't like thrown together in some little set in California. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, and their fire doesn't look that great. Her dress twirling at the knee, it should have twirled at the hip. It would have been more dramatic. During, during the interview after. Yeah. Yeah. Her before, right before. Before, right before they go to the Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you have comments on implausible and plausible or research or anything? Uh, nothing's terribly implausible. I mean, it is essentially a science fiction but but it's not uh it's dystopian very, and so it's, it's not far-fetched no uh, but i mean they don't do anything really crazy in this movie um at all no it, it, it's it i mean she's it's rural she's in the woods with a bow and arrow yeah she's has a bow and arrow and they fight with knives and clubs mm-hmm. in the hunger games and she uses her skills that she's already set to save herself she mostly evades, yeah, and uses the bow and arrow. But there's and it's it. like survival skills, like how to build a fire in a mm-hmm. shelter. They're it, they're basically in a big dome thing or somewhere mm-hmm. or something, but you don't know that. You don't get mm-hmm. that sense in this one. It comes up in the next one, but yeah, um, yeah. There there are some slight sci-fi elements, but mostly it's it could be now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the technology that you see in this movie it becomes more advanced later. Yeah, uh, you see more more stuff but even so i mean it could just all the hovercrafts could be helicopters instead of yeah i mean so yeah. conflicts and tri-fell cycle any comments on that no i, I mean it's gone a, through and been like it hey, does good they do they do stuff i mean she tries to not die and mm-hmm. then she succeeds at that so yes uh conflicts i mean obviously the the immediate conflict of the people trying to kill her through mm-hmm. the whole movie but also again the politics the game behind the game yeah. so she wins the hunger Her games having to kiss up to the viewers that's a, that's a skill she has to learn yeah how to be nice to people Hamish yeah. hammer hammers that into her over and over again because yeah, he's, he's like, like pete is gonna live he knows what he's doing yeah he's like this kid knows what he's doing i watch out for him and she you know that's after she attacks him with a knife the table. Much, yeah. And, yeah, she stabs a table. And, and he's like, that's mahogany. That's mahogany. She has some of the best lines. Nobody it. gets any special treatment. District 22 has the same apartments as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. Um, anyway. She's cute. Yeah. What was I talking about now? I forgot. Already. Um, Peter was right. love. Yeah, and... so, yeah, so she flies off the handle, stabs the table while Hamish is going for some marmalade. Yeah. And while while Pia's looking out the window, and waving, smiling, smiling and... and waving to all the people yeah. that came to see them, yep. and he's like, "That's the game, right there." Yeah, like it doesn't he, just matter. It. Yeah, it doesn't just matter that you can kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Getting people to like you can change the balance because yeah. people out people in the arena or people in the this you can get sponsors to have them give you things when you need it in the game. Yeah, like her the medicated salve. And yeah. what's interesting is like she's we're watching the show. She gets burned, and Hamish looks up. And he's like, she's. He's like, I've got a job to do. And he stands up and he goes and you see him like drinking Hustle. and yeah, yeah, and talking to people and being friendly. Like he does his job and he does a good job of it. Right, because that's the game behind the game. Hamish yeah. knows that you have to play politics mm-hmm. even while the game is going on. Yeah. So great conflicts, really, really great setup. It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, great showing of the characters, like her mom, how incapable her mom is of living. I mean, all of the characters, we see who they are, you know, all of the main yeah, characters. We don't get a lot of, I mean, they're a little bit one dimensional just because it's a movie and yeah. you don't have time to develop them. Well, even in book, you don't have that You don't much need time, to. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And you don't need to. For some of them, they play their role. And if, as long as you hold it to that limit, they're not main characters. So they can be kind of 
like they can be that conflict. They can represent that thing. Um, you know, the irresponsible parent, you know, she was on her own. Yeah. Not just on her own, actually. She had burdens. Mm -hmm. She has a sister and a mother she had to take care of from a very early age. Yeah. That helped her win the games. Mm -hmm. You know, she had to go out on her own and get the skill of being able to shoot a bow, you know, and hunt, which is the games. Yeah, no kidding. Shooting a bow, if she can get her hands on a bow, which she does eventually Mm -hmm. in the games, she's got a real shot. No pun intended. And she does that. Yeah. So do you have any noteworthy? I've got a bunch of comments on noteworthy. Very little comedy. No, I don't. Very little comedy, is that you said? Yeah. No, there's not a whole lot of comedy. But it where it where it does happen is it's good for breaking mood, you know, and it's more there's a lot of like that was cool, you know, like her shooting the pig, the apple, you know, like that was awesome. That's a great and that's Hamish has some like one layers because he just he's got he kinda doesn't care and he's drunk. And he actually sobers up. Yeah. For the games. Because mm-hmm. he actually thinks they've got, they have a chance to win. Yeah, once he and so realizes. And he starts taking it seriously. Because there's yeah. a, there's one point where they're at a dinner and somebody's pouring drinks and he actually puts his hand up and says no. Mm-hmm. And that's Again, like, showing. Exactly. Not some, him telling somebody. So it's not, he's not like, I'm sober today. Yeah. It's just you gradually see him like, you know, change yep. what he's consuming. Yeah, because if it weren't for him, they would have died. You and know? he's wearing like, you know, at the beginning, he's wearing like, uh, he's wearing a suit, but it's, it's undone, like his tie yeah. is all messed up. And at the end, he's wearing, um, you know, a white tie formal, pretty yeah. much like mm-hmm. um, with tails and a yeah. tuxedo while he's going around hustling for his people in the, in the arena. Yeah. So, that I mean, that's character growth. So something that Nolan says pretty much every time we watch this movie Okay. And there's Cinna. He says, I almost want to wear gold eyeliner. Yeah, uh, uh, eyeshadow, yeah. It, it is eyeliner. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's eyeliner in the book anyway. Oh, it is. Okay. It looks good on It looks. Cinna looks I'm awesome not, with the gold eyeliner. I'm not. Okay. I hate the idea of male cosmetics. <laughs> but if I ever wear it, my eyes would freaking pop. <laughs> okay. Would they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, you know, if you look like Johnny, actually, my husband looks like Johnny Depp. I don't know if, I don't know if anybody's noticed this. Uh, younger, not, not drunken wife beating Johnny Depp. <laughs> can we just make that clear? Yes, we can make that clear. Okay. So that was the number, number one comment I got from people I was dating him. I was like, oh, he looks like Johnny Depp. Uh, yeah, I've gotten that since high school. So yeah, it's, it's terrible burden. <laughs> terrible, terrible burden. That I, yeah. Anyway, so if he his his hair grows similarly, facial hair grows similar similarly to Johnny Depp's, and so if he grew it out and did some dark eyeliner and dreads, you know, I mean, I'd still be attracted to you. I'd be Captain Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. I like Captain Jack Sparrow. He's crushworthy sometimes. That's fine. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> We're practically the same person. Of course, I get it. Uh, let's see um, the explosion and how realistic it. Where's the explosion? Um, the landmines. She shoots the apples. The apples fall on the landmines and oh, explode. Yeah. Blows her eardrums out. Yeah, like it's actually realistic. She's not close to it. Hollywood close, and it still does what it would have. It blows her back and her bursts her eardrum, mm-hmm. which you learn in the book. You don't really learn that in the movie. But she's bleeding out her ears. Yeah, so it's not like, you know, it's not like a usual Hollywood movie. You know, I appreciated that. And then one of my favorite scenes in the movie. You know how at the end, you know, Foxface dies from berries, and then. Mm-hmm. Peta and Katniss almost kill themselves with berries. Well, they have Seneca go into a room alone. They lock him in there, and on a pedestal in the middle of a room is a bowl full of berries. 
Yep. Which is he failed. So awesome. Yeah, and then Snow. I mean, he Snow is such a good bad guy. Yeah, he He's, is. He he yeah. He doesn't have to do it himself. He makes Seneca kill himself. Right. Yeah, but and he does it in the way that he failed. Yeah. He's like and, and Seneca knows exactly what the berries are there for. Which we should talk about that. So normally there's only one winner. Mm -hmm. But in order to because um Everybody loved the love Snow, triangle. Right. But Snow wants them to lose mm -hmm. as well. So and this, so they make an announcement saying that two people can from the same district. win if they're from the same district. Yeah. And then they take it away. Yep. At the end, right at the very, very end. And so mm -hmm. they decide to die together. Which so there all would be, it does is it turns their back on the district or on the capital publicly. It makes it idiot right. out of the so, district. Yeah. So they decide, to, they decide to both die. There will be no winner. There's no winner. Mm-hmm. Because everyone would be dead, mm -hmm. so the capital would lose. Yeah. So they have to let them both live after all. Yep. Which means the capital loses anyway. Yep. There's no way for the capital to win. Nope. They can't look good after that. There's no either way the capital loses, and Snow hates that. Yep. And he is not happy for book two. No. No. Um, and, and so Snow is one of my favorite characters in this series. He I is absolutely fantastic. love the way she set him up, and I love the way he ends. You know, I just love it. Yeah, he's such a dirtbag. Yeah. Uh, he, he is the consummate um, evil genius bad guy. Yeah. Like how he does the politics of the whole thing. Yeah. Which is, I mean, he's a president of an evil country. Yeah. So there you go. But it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic setup, yes. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. yeah. Setting up a no win. Mm -hmm. So they win the games, but yeah. they lose the games. Yeah. They lose outside the games, which was really what was important. Yep. I mean, obviously, you have to win the games or you die. So yeah. you have to win the games. Yep. But in winning the games, they lost outside the games mm -hmm. in the bigger in the bigger conflict that they weren't even aware of. Yeah. Just like Seneca wasn't aware and he lost. Mm -hmm. And so he died. He didn't lose the games. He mm -hmm. lost the game outside the games. Yeah. So he dies. Yeah. They won the game inside the game, but mm -hmm. lost outside. So they won for now. But tomorrow they have a bigger conflict. Yeah. So that sets it up for raising the stakes. Yeah. Because so, Snow's got, not going to let that go. And no. he kind of lets her know that, you know, he's nice about it. He's like kind of, you know, like congratulations on your victory. Yeah. yeah well, he's being sarcastic about it. Like, of course he is. But he's very... being, I mean, he's polite in public. Yep. You and know? she's like, oh, crap, I'm dead. Yeah. And just the way he says it and, he, you know, his body language. And, and he's like, know. what is this? The Mockingjay pen. And he yeah. knows what it is. Of course she didn't know what it was, you know. Yeah. But that's enough. You know, that's yeah. rebellion. And, and, and she's she... like, I didn't choose to be in the, in the next book. She's like, I didn't choose to be your leader, you know, when right. they're like, you're our leader anyway, you know. Yeah. She gets forced in it because, you know, the symbols, mm -hmm. you know, the symbol of the Mockingjay, which snow understands which he hates because he's like he, he hates underdogs and underdog one yeah because that leads to rebellion yeah. symbolized by the mocking jay yep. you know it's a lot of red flags he knew was coming yep. and he tried to stop the game he stopped her in the game yeah you know but he couldn't yep. and he ended up losing yep. that aspect and yeah, yeah i mean they could have killed her but it would have made them lose anyway you know because they have all these booby traps in the game but she if they'd done it without giving her a fair fight then the capital still would have lost because right yeah, because you can't, they can't do that. That's their, that's how they maintain control as well. Yep. So that they do lose control of this and that leads to a greater conflict. Yeah. And uh, so the, so this is a dystopian. It ends on a cliffhanger pretty much. The movie doesn't as much as the book, but the book ends right when they get off, right when the planes, the train stops in district 12 and, you know, which is a cliffhanger because you're like, how, how's everybody going to react? How's, how's Gail going to handle her and Peter holding hands, you know, and smooching. 
Yeah. We were smooching up a storm. <laughs> oh, mega mind. Yes. Anyway, so climax epilogue resolution. Climax, there's not a lot of resolution. Not yet. I mean, they set it up saying, like, this ain't over, right? Yeah. And you know that there's, there's... a resolution to the Hunger Games in this version the, of that. Yeah, that, this 74th annual Hunger Games. Yep. There is a resolution. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I really like that. But you learn of, of this bigger conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. Because there was a civil war between the districts. That's how they wound up in the Capital One. That's how we got yeah, in the situation. Yeah, and District the 13 place. got destroyed. Yep, and District 4 is effectively destroyed as well. Yeah, that's right. They actually assume they're destroyed. I thought yeah, that that's was why District they all live, 13. They live underground, isn't that that's the one? That's District that makes, 13. That's the it? nuclear district. They got oh, all destroyed. They got nuked, but they all live underground. That's where everybody goes up to oh, the I second see. book. I thought that was 4 for some reason. Okay, never mind. All right, so can I give trivia? Yes. There was a swear jar, jar on the set, and Jennifer Lawrence contributed half of it. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I think it's funny. She was paid $500,000 for this movie. Overpaid. <laughs> I don't agree with that. <laughs> and she was paid $10 million for Catching Fire. Yowza. That's yeah. quite an upgrade. Well, it's because the movies. Yeah. This one did so well. I mean, for how small budget it had, and it was done by Lionsgate, which is a small studio. They paid attention to the story yeah. and made a good story. That you didn't have to have seen the movie first to enjoy or the book. the book. Yeah. Yeah. This this movie tells a good story <laughs> emphasis and doesn't rely on flashy special effects. Nope. It does not. Could you imagine what would happen if somebody wrote a good story and then had nice special effects? <laughs> anyway. All right. Seneca's beard was his own facial hair. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. He, they yeah. just shaved it down. I was like, it, there's no hair pieces they put on him. It, he's he, It looks plausible. I mean, it looks like... If you haven't seen the movie, he's got like fancy designs in it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. He said that he would go shopping like at Walmart <laughs> and have the beard still like that and forget, you know, and people yeah. would be like, yo, hipster. <laughs> uh, my favorite is uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, the brother guy. With the, he has like a... He's albino. Kinda, yeah, I'm like, trying to remember. I think he has a straight line haircut like a bull. Oh, yes. And that was his hair and he wasn't allowed to cut it because obviously he was in the movie. So he yes. had to go around his regular like life sometimes so with that awful. haircut and people would just stare at him. So awful. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> All right. Donald Sutherland, who plays President Snow, got the role by writing a letter of plea to the director explaining why he should be cast as President Snow. He's perfect. He really did a good job. Yeah, I really like that. He has a look. Yeah, of course, the gravitas. I mean, he's Donald Sutherland, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. And I'm sure you caught this, but the movie was set up to match the 1940s when the Nazis were in power. So the mics were not 1940s Yes, styles, I, noticed, I noticed that, yes. Red Birds of Prey banners, the neoclassical architecture. Um, I mean, the first part of the movie, like the, the reaping ceremony where they draw the names, it felt like a concentration camp. It felt... Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Effie Trinket spent 45 minutes every day having manicures done on her fingernails. She has pretty intense fingernails. <laughs> she has pretty intense, lots of stuff. I quite like her. Let's see. Um, I've got a screenshot here of one of the trivia I'm going to read. Okay, so the reaping scene is shot in extreme heat. So extreme heat, I mean, sorry, the reaping scene is again when they draw the names. So the main characters um, were able to escape to their trailers while uh, they you know, weren't on the scene or needing to be used. And the extras had to sit in the heat. What? That would suck. It does suck. But I think this is funny. Jer Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hush Hutcherson. So Jennifer Lawrence is Katniss and Josh Hutcherson is Peta. And Elizabeth Banks is Triffy. Or, sorry, Effie. 
They felt so bad about it. They gave free autographs to anyone who wanted one. And I'm my personality. I'm like, who cares about an autograph? I was like, <laughs> Give me the you, AC. I know. I was like, you didn't let some people sit in your, your AC trailer with you. I'm sorry, I can't let you have my ace, share my AC. Here's a picture of me with my signature on it. Not even a picture, just wow, a free wow. signature, oh, okay. free autograph. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, a-hole. <laughs> that's the way I felt, too. I was like, wow, that's that's insulting almost. You know, like, oh, I think, I'm so popular I think we need here. to overthrow the Capitol. That's what I would have done. <laughs> overthrow Hollywood. The Capitol being her trailer, her AC trailer. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so... Alexander Ludwig, who plays Cato, worked out for four hours a day with a Navy SEAL to get into shape for his role. He looks like it. I'm jealous. It was four hours a day. We need to find a Navy SEAL, a local Navy SEAL to work out with. Sure. In the desert. There's lots of Navy SEALs Your in the desert. dad lives in a desert and he was in the Navy. He wasn't a Navy SEAL, though. Yeah, but he was in the Navy. I mean, Navy SEALs come from all over the country. <laughs> I did see someone with a, um, a submarine decal on their truck. Well, let's go see if they were, in, you know, a Navy SEAL. Unlikely. <laughs> anyway, so then the last little bit of trivia, I think this is the last. Yeah. Uh, Danny Elfman was supposed to compose the music for this, but he had a scheduling conflict. And so James Newton Howard did it instead. Good job. He did a good job. I don't, I mean, it would have changed the movie. And Danny Elfman has such a distinct, I mean, I can't stop thinking about like Spider-Man when I hear Danny Elfman's music. You know, he has, I love his music, but it is a very, I think it's, this movie, music is more reflective and more thought-provoking mm-hmm. and it's a slower pace than i think danny elfman would have taken it because i mean a lot of the music reflected the district that katniss is from so it felt like something that would come from the appalachian the what are those mountains called appalachian yeah and yeah. it 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 felt more like it fit the plot than the move than i think danny elfman might have been able Too to do. boisterous from elfman yeah i love danny elfman's music but i think that it that doesn't mean fit. that everyone's right for everything yeah exactly and i do like james newton howard quite a bit I like He's the very versatile. Yeah, I like the soundtrack. Yeah, me Actually. too. I didn't really think about it until I watched it this time. And I was like, I'm like, I like the soundtrack. And you're like, I haven't really noticed it. Which can be but good then or you bad. you noticed it. Yeah, you know, which can be good or bad, noticing yeah. the soundtrack. Because you can notice it and it can be great, but then you're not watching the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, can, you can notice it because it's bad and then it takes away from the movie. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to like, you know, at what point do you just ignore it? But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like you want it to people to feel something when they hear it. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to distract from the movie, but you need to add to the movie, you know. There's, there's, a, there's, fine, there's a fine line there to walk. There's two movies that I remember distinctly hearing and listening to and appreciating the soundtrack. The first is Pacific Rim with the low bass, you know, <laughs> super, super awesome. And then the second one is Lord of the Rings when they are running away from the Balrog and you get the, you know, the, oh, yeah, like yeah. the band, the choir men, choir men in the background. And I am so disappointed because that is not on the soundtrack. Like the the choir is too quiet in the soundtrack, so you, so the only way you get the full fill of it is when watching the movie. And I'm like, that's that was cheap of them. Lame. Yep. All right, you ready for some takeaways for authors? Yes. All right, you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Pacing. Uh, I know I talk about this all the time, but this movie <laughs> does a good job of pacing. Yeah. There's action, and then there's emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Get, there's a lot of like I said, that game behind the game when there's no action, yeah. but the action supports. The, the action outside, by that I mean the politics, supports the action, On the, the actual combat. Yeah. This, this is good. Mm-hmm. This is a very yeah. good thing. So you're also saying make your, your plots more convoluted, more complicated, more yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not even complicated, but it is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
because they play off each subplots other. Subplots that interweave. Keep yeah, there's basically reading. just the two, right? I mean, there is the love triangle and stuff like that. But I mean, in terms of just the games themselves, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, you know, there's the games and then there's the, the games, you know. So, yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, but as far as pacing goes, they, they switch between the two. Yeah. Just enough. So you don't get overloaded with one mm -hmm. and they support each other. So you go from this conflict, this style of conflict yeah. even, to this style, to this style, mm -hmm. you know, back and forth. And it's always driving the plot forward. Yep. And it's always interesting and they always affect each other. Yeah, they exactly. overlap and support. Yeah. Pacing. Mm -hmm. Do it. Mm -hmm. Good pacing. Good pacing. Yeah. Uh, tone. This, this is very somber. Mm-hmm. They did a very good job of projecting that. Like, there's very little humor. What little there is is mainly like a dialogue, Low snarky play. dialogue, yeah. and it pops because of how somber everything is, but yeah. not always depressing. Yeah, it's not always depressing. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's never boisterous or exciting, it's not like there's no joyous yeah, yeah. parts. Even when they win, yeah, it's like there's a relief, not yeah. like this glorious celebration with mm -hmm. like ticker tape parades and fireworks yeah no mm -hmm. it's actually a pretty understated win yeah yeah basically like they plead with them not to eat the berries and yeah. like we no, have no, to stop stop yeah we, we have, have to... our victors yeah exactly and then that's pretty much it mm -hmm. i mean there is a celebration but you can see that the characters are removed from it yeah the main the characters that won aren't yeah. really a part of that celebration and and seneca you know being the game maker we don't actually he, he doesn't even have a role in the book they briefly mention him in book two in prison so snow tells katniss that he had him killed and they the movie makers actually gave him a character and gave him a role and i really like how they did it how they introduced him and you know how he died like i said all of that right because so, they had to have somebody representing the games yeah you know and he's the person that because there's there's a lot of people you see around him mm -hmm. And but they can't show them all mm -hmm. and, and all that mechanism. So yeah. he he represents the games in human form. Yeah, and it just ups the stakes a little bit because I mean you don't recognize really that his life his life is on the line until that he doesn't end. recognize it. No, either. he doesn't. Mm -mm. He's like, well, that was weird. Well, I guess next year. And I'm like, oh, there ain't no next year for you, pal. Yeah, yeah. So they they did a really good job with the tone. I agree with that. Like it just even in the bright cheerful, like the sun is shining, it's still not. A chipper happy you know no i mean there are like some kind of peaceful moments like when she's out in the woods or remembering out in the woods there's a part where she's in her room and she's flipping through the channels and there's like pictures of the capital but then there's one she comes across that's just nature yeah and that's the one she stops on and just looks at it like remembering yeah and she misses it mm -hmm. quickly shuts it off yeah so you know again it made it was kind of a happy thing but also like sad at the same yeah. time because mm -hmm. she yeah anyway there you go those are your two two takeaways. Yeah. Um, my next one is kind of like the first one, the plot weaving. They they did a good job. And this is whenever we do our sequels episode, this is a good one mm -hmm. because they threaded in plot points that matter later yeah. in subtle ways um, that, that come up now. Yeah. And it doesn't distract from this, this plot, but it's enough for... You know, let's us know that there's more coming. Yeah, you feel a resolution, but there's also the door open to the next book. Yep. And the conflicts naturally carry over. The characters carry over. Their arcs are not completed. They had some arcs. Mm -hmm. You know, they grew as characters. Katniss grew as a person. Peta, all of them. Peta did. Hamish does. 
Effie does. Effie, I, not so much in this one, but later on yeah. she does. Mm -hmm. um, they, they do they do grow as people, but they didn't complete that arc, so you can carry on to the next book. Yeah, yep. And and they can they they take that lesson they learned and they move forward. Yeah. In a way that's still interesting. Yep. Because their their story isn't finished yet. No. It's not like other one off movies where they then try to have a sequel shoehorned onto it and it fails. Like we feel like the the uh, second and third Jurassic Park movies do because those characters arcs completed. Yeah, and the and the and the thing with this is we've got a main bad guy, President Snow, and we, we need do. him, but she defeats the the smaller bad guys. You know, Seneca essentially. She defeat by winning the well, game. Kato, she defeats. I mean, all of the people in the that's arena. True. But by by winning the game, she defeats Seneca. Yeah. Basically, she, she never meets. I mean, she meets once. And I don't even feel like he's a bad guy. He's just doing a job that he's, he's passionate but he's, about, but he's not like... But he represents like the, the capital in the games. They just want to yeah. see a show. They don't yeah. realize how important that show really is to their yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. They just think it's one uh, something that happens once a year yep. for their entertainment, but it's mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. So those are my three. Very, okay, so... Very intrigue, I guess. Uh, it doesn't always have to be intrigue, but again, multi-layered plots. Yeah. So... Okay. So one of my points was similar to that. Make the story complex, full of complications, characters with competing motivations, multiple goals, fighting, and the politics. So pretty much what we've already talked about. And then this one's also a series one, a series comment, you know, plan ahead. This is the 74th Hunger Games. 75 is a big number. And we know that in the 75th Hunger Games, they pull all of the previous victors and make them all go back in again. And so people that have won have to go fight again. And so plan ahead, you know, if you know you want to have a series, don't don't make your first book be the number 75, which is a more important number than number 74. Yeah, I mean, some movies can retcon okay, but it's just not the same. No, yeah. Um, some movies are just not designed, like, let's say, um, Johnny English. Mm -hmm. They don't flow together like the two movies, As really. As a series, no. Like the bad guys aren't woven in ahead of time because it's a comedy. It's yeah. light. It doesn't have to. It's a one-off. It's a standalone. And basically. so they can, they can all stand on their own or together. It's okay. <laughs> yep. But if you want to write a series, read these ones and or watch these movies and pay attention to how they make the flow happen between the movies. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then I've got two more points. So dystopian writers, give us a plausible reason for your games. So, for example, in this one, you've got a dystopian setup and you you it's pretty much a trope to have YA have them go and do something that makes them win and become something important. Maze Runner. So, Maze Runner, yes. And then um the selection. So I don't know if you the remember selection. the selection. Yes. She you compete against a whole bunch of other women to become a princess. And I love I really like the the selection. I really like the way Hunger Games did it, you know, but there are so, so many that feel silly or cheap. You know, they're like trying to be. They tried to be the Hunger Games after the Hunger Games came out. Yeah. Or the selection after the selection came out. I've read a bunch of cheap, you know, knockoffs. They, they feel, they don't feel original, you know? And so if you're writing dystopian, I mean, go read Cinder. Cinder is dystopian and it's not, it doesn't follow the same setup as Hunger Games or the selection. And it's still dystopian. So I like, I really like dystopian, actually. I didn't realize this, but I do like dystopian quite a bit. But Quite a few people do. I mean, it is yeah, a more a popular genre. genre than Hollywood would lead you to believe. They did do a lot. I mean, with like The Fifth Wave and uh, Divergent. The Fort. I'm Maze Runner. Four. No, that's a, not a dystopian. No. no. Um, um, what else they was They actually there? did the whole Maze Runner 
they trilogy. Did. I didn't think they uh, Divergent. They did those as well. Yeah. Didn't think they would. Um, so there's a lot of dystopian out there. There, here's another point for dystopian writers. Dystopian for adults does not sell well. Dystopian for YA is it the um, biggest market. Dystopian, for... yeah, dystopian in an adult form is more post-apocalyptic. Yeah, and it doesn't. Which it's is not as big an audience as dystopian for YA. I mean, it has it has an audience, but yeah, it's not as big. See, I'm talking about the money, like dystopian. No, I understand. YA, they make more money than post-apocalyptic authors. Yeah. So if you're I mean, passionate about zombies, this were topic, a thing for a while, and those were mostly post-apocalyptic. So. Yeah, zombies. Zombies are very popular still. I mean, they're not talked about as much, but they still do decently. Five or six years ago, they were the thing. Yeah. Zombies, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get away from it. No. Okay, so then my last um, takeaway is, and this is going to, I think, tee off. I haven't, I haven't had somebody say that for a while. Some our listeners, hopefully not too much. But if you want the rich, rich complexity that you find in these types of stories, consider outlining. If you're a pantser... Uh, you aren't going to be able to successfully pull off a story that requires so much subplot threading and foreshadowing and fulfilling and characters and antagonists and such. Uh, ouch. Is that ouch? No, not really. <laughs> um, uh, my my biggest problem with Panzer stories is the endings. They always seem to flub the endings to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they can't properly set them up to be impactful because there wasn't as much of a... If you're going to pants, um, it's I think it's okay for a bit. But you have to pick it up on the editing end. Yeah, I don't think enough people do. You're gonna to have to do way more story editing than I yeah. think you may want to. Yeah. So if I mean, if you hate outlining, I don't know. Like, pick have a like, different genre, honestly. Have like six like plot points that you have to hit, just like a very like yeah. small, and leave it general. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But at least have some idea. Yeah. Because not having any idea, uh, you will fail. Yeah. Almost certainly. Um, and, and you don't have to pick a different genre, but just don't expect to be able to have complex stories and to pull them off perfectly. Like I, a lot of my pantser friends write romance and it works well for them because there's two main characters that you follow and you don't have like Hunger Games. How many threads are we following in Hunger Games? I don't know. There's quite a few. But, but there's a lot of there's a lot of intrigue, which uh, for intrigue to work, it has to be complicated. Yeah. By definition, or else it's not interesting. Like yeah. intrigue has to there has to be lots of double crosses and backstabs and double agents and yeah. betrayals. Yep. I mean, and that that complexity is not in romance. Mm-mm. So I mean, it, I think it's okay. So okay, I'll just say I was reading um, uh, Bella Forrest's uh, the Gender Game, the Gender Wars, or whatever, and they're dystopian. They they held my interest. I did stop reading them, so they obviously didn't hold my interest long enough. But they were, um, they weren't complex, and so it didn't have the richness that I felt like all the dystopians I've read have had so far. And I mean, she writes them really fast. She publishes a book like a week or something like that, or every two weeks or whatever. And so you can't expect her to have that. But the problem is stories that are complex and have. And this is something that I struggle with as well because I don't have time to write the kind of stories that I would like to write. But the more complex and the more plot points that you have in a story and the more satisfying it is when those get threaded through and and resolved, the more your readers are going to reread, which also means they'll be recommending them. And so if you write books that have that are that have all of that complexity and all of the subplots and things like that, you're going to have readers that will actually stick through your entire series rather than getting disinterested when one plot point gets boring. They don't have anything else to follow. So um, my point there, though, is the outlining. Um, I've 
got several author friends that wrote that write fantasy who started out as pantsers and then they've realized that outlining is better when you write an epic fantasy because there's way too many characters and like you're writing a hundred plus thousand word book and then a series of them yeah there's too many things to keep in mind at once yep you have to have like where am i at and then you look in your notebook and you're like oh yes here i am yeah yeah so it just i mean if and here's another thing I mean, even if you aren't generally an outliner, even if you write romance, try outlining a couple books because outlining, you can write them so much faster and have less to do on the back end with editing and, you know, making sure that everything got in place. place. There are ways to outline that don't stifle creativity. So like a five point outline or a 10 point outline, you know? Like I was saying, yeah, just like a couple key points that yeah. you aim for when you're pantsing because you just have it in the back of your head that you yeah. need to hit this point. You know, and then you hit this point and then you can fix the t- the timing and stuff with editing. Yeah, exactly. Get your beats right, you know, and stuff like that. So there's just minor little things that you can do to make your stories more. Um, I I personally like the hybrid approach mm-hmm. for authors. I, I feel like I can tell. Well, you can tell when somebody's a strict um, outliner because there's no growth. There's no movement. Uh, it's that's very sometimes how I feel strict, about rigid. Like, rigid. To bring it back to the beginning. Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, I feel like he <laughs> overdoes it. Yeah. Um, and so, and he feel, recognizes that he's he's mentioned that several times. It feels a bit know. stale. Like I, I can almost feel his plot points come together in advance because I know how his mind works now. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't things that are supposed to be a surprise aren't anymore. Yeah, that because makes if sense. you understand how he's very systematic about everything he does, yeah, he his is. magic systems are systematic. Mm-hmm. So I figured out the trick in, um, not necessarily how he would how it would be used, but. You can basically make a grid and fill the grid out mm-hmm. for the magic system in uh, Mistborn. The the land or or no, how the the metals work. Oh, and you can basically fill it out because there's yeah. there's an opposing one to each one. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, you know what I mean. It mm-hmm. was just so rigid mm-hmm. that you could figure it out. Yeah. I mean, and again, it, the, what he does with it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. But but some of it's too rigid, and yeah. he can't break his own rules once he makes them, which is good. Yeah. Um, because one, one of the first thing, one of the things he said he, when he was at a, a conference, he's like, you, you have to make a magic system and then follow the rules. And everyone else on the panel looked at him like he was insane. <laughs> I don't, I mean, he's, that's one of his biggest rules is if you do magic, you need to understand how the magic works and why. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I, I do and don't, cause I, th- I, I do. And I don't too. Cause it, cause I, I, it's nice to have a premise because that part of the interesting thing is you have a limitation and you know it and you have to work within that limitation yeah. to overcome a problem. Yeah. If you have no limitations, magic can just get you out of it. It's not as interesting as having no. a known limitation. Like, I can't do it. I have to think of a way around it. Yeah. Way to well, use that's that. not the same as knowing where the magic came from or how it works. I mean, knowing yeah. that you have a limitation doesn't mean, you know. Yeah, but I mean, that's, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. So but. like a wizard. So I'm reading um, the Dresden Files right now. Harry Dresden does not explain where the magic came from. And that's a breaking a rule to Brandon Sanderson. Well, Brandon Sanderson doesn't say where the magic comes from. And the metals is where the magic comes but from. But why and metals? Why metals? I think that's mostly what he's saying. I mean, Harry Dresden doesn't explain where the magic comes from. He just has mm. magic. And in Elantris, he explains. Right, it know, comes from the door. Mm-hmm. He draw the symbols. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it does kind of remove the mystery from magic. Mm-hmm. That's what, and that's, so that's what I mean by, there has to be, to me, mm-hmm. it's, you have a plan, but there's a little wiggle room, but not in a way that makes it feel like you're cheating. Yeah. Because there has to be some mystery yeah. to magic or to mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. There has to, like how you write. 
So back to outline. Otherwise, it feels very formulaic, and you just you feel like there's an outline, and it, the next choice is too obvious. Yeah. So you have to make your choices less obvious, but they mm -hmm. still have to feel plausible. Yeah. So if you don't outline, try try just putting a few plot points on paper, you know, beforehand, so that if you want more complex stories, so that you, you know, and if you do outline, uh, see if you can get to the point where you don't have to have a rigid outline. So for example, when I first started writing, my outlines were like 40 to 50,000 words long. And now my outlines are three pages and I just totally pants. Now I, I grab, I have an index card that has the topic for that scene on it. And then I just go at it. And, and you want, you don't want to be completely strictly one or the other. Otherwise readers like Nolan said, he can tell when it's fully outlined and I can tell when a book is fully pants because can, the endings. Yeah, exactly. The endings aren't as satisfying because they're not epic enough or they don't you know they just don't they just don't build address all of the emotions and yeah i feel like things get left out that were important earlier on yeah um they don't sufficiently build tension yeah towards the finale and the finale itself usually isn't as big as mm -hmm. it could be that's the way I, I think mercy thompson books are pants because her conclusions her climaxes are almost always less epic than her inciting incidents right yeah it should build like that that should be the most important scene in the, in the, the whole book that's the reason should, people are reading you the should book. feel relief and satisfaction after it's completed yeah if you don't get that from that epic scene yeah then it wasn't the point of the book which is it should be the point of the book yep exactly like that should be the most important thing happening at the time that's why the book got yeah. written in the first place and if you write romance and you're like i don't do epic clothes you do you have you have a, a period of separation where your main characters are not together and that can't be like a five minute thing like i've read romances where it's just a brief they're separated for a brief moment you need to have that be epic you need to have them there needs to be pain there between the two characters why they're not together something that pulls them back together really strongly it needs to be emotionally satisfying for readers so i agree with you I think, yeah, pantsers lack complexity and outliners are too know, rigid. Lack, lack flexibility. Yep. And that somewhere in between is where you we want to be. Is, yeah. And that can be very different. I mean, some people can only only need like five plot points and they're good to go for the whole book. And some yep. people need more structure, but they can still find the find the wiggle room in those structures. And maybe you come up with a better scene or maybe a better premise and you're able to adapt your story to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're like, oh, yeah, this is way more epic than I thought. And yeah. then you can restructure it and mm -hmm. it's even better than you started. And you should be able because sometimes you're like, no, that's not going to get me to the ending I have I decided on, you know, yeah, and then no you kidding. you sabotage yourself to get to the ending that you thought of before when you could have had an even better one mm -hmm. um, that you found through writing. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I feel that's the end of Harry Potter. It's like that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. She could have rewritten it completely. She wrote that ending like a bunch of years ago, and then all these other things happened in the course of writing. And, and then... Harry Potter was only as advanced as he was in year two or something with his magic. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right, we need to end now. We've been going for an hour and a half. My goodness. Yeah. Um, we like this. <laughs> we like this uh, movie. Yeah, Hunger Games is a good movie. I really do like it. Yeah, come to the, the business masterclass if you can. I would love to you know, have people there. I'm talking to Nolan. Nolan's actually going to be there, and the kids will be there. I'm like Nolan, in come, the class, we're going to come to the business. And you're like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the same town. Yeah, well, we're going to go down. All of us take make a trip of it. Anyway, if you have questions, email me at Andrea at selfpublishstrong.com. And we're I'm still not satisfied with how we've got Patreon set up with the reward levels and what we do and things like that. So I think we're going to be brainstorming over that a little bit and figuring it out because. 
I'm going to say right now, reading excerpts in the podcast is not my favorite thing. Do you want me to read them? Um, I just don't know that having them in them in the podcast at all is my favorite thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. My thing with this, and I'm going to tell our listeners this right now. My goal with this podcast was not to have a whole lot of prep work for me to do. And getting excerpts every week requires me. I don't generally have the time, which is why today I didn't, you know, because I just, you know, we have two kids and I'm trying to write books and be an author. So my main goal is my kids and my husband and then my writing and then the podcast. <laughs> anyway, so we'll, we'll brainstorm. If you have any ideas on that, um, Alice, you too, <laughs> let us know. Uh, I might go, it might be something like where you support us for a certain amount then of time, then you get one of my courses for free, you know, as long as it's, I don't know, break even point somewhere a little bit, you know, I'm not giving away courses to people who aren't supporting us for very much. I don't know. We'll think about it. Oh, speaking of which, did I already announce that my MailChimp tutorial course is available now? No. My MailChimp tutorial course is available. It's $25. So go to selfpublishedstrongcourses.com and click on see all courses and you will see my MailChimp tutorial. And it tells you how to set up your automation sequence and how to import and, and export and doing segments, how to do segments and groups and lists and all of that stuff. So for $25 for $25 and it's like a 45 minute what a savings uh, that's you should have <laughs> charged more. You should have charged like $125. I was thinking 50. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, go check that out and let me what know a bargain. If you have questions on that. Go check out our book bub promotions and more group. And yeah, that's it for today. Okay. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.